Well, hello and welcome to Exponential's Hub Show. We're doing a webinar today and we're talking about minimalist mega and micro churches. My name is Jason Shepard and this is the first of six episodes we're going to do on this topic. And I'm really honored that Exponential invited me to do this. And I'm also honored that our first ever host that I've ever hosted a webinar with is Ralph more. And I'm going to introduce Ralph in just a second and let him introduce himself. And my co-host that I invited to co-host with me is my longtime friend and my colleague and partner in ministry, Dave Edwards. Dave, good to see you. Thanks for jumping hey, on. Good to see you. Glad to be on there. Dave will Glad be adding some color commentary and some insightful questions along the way. Uh, I first heard of Ralph Moore at an exponential event years ago at Clear Creek Community Church. Uh, their pastor, Bruce Wesley, who I love and respect, was hosting an exponential event. And this guy got on stage, the guy who was hosting, and he asked a question. He said, raise your hand if you've heard of, and he listed famous pastors and people raised their hands. And he said, raise your hand if you've heard of Ralph Moore. And not nearly as many people in the room raised their hands. And he said something like this. He said, the pastors whose hands you raised that you knew, uh, pastor churches of thousands, but Ralph has helped plant thousands of churches. And this guy immediately then became somebody that I wanted to learn from and have been learning from ever since. And so Ralph and I have developed what I would call a friendship. He might call it an acquaintance, but I'm really honored to know him and really grateful that you're here today. Uh, we call uh, Ralph more the Yoda of church planning around me. That's how I tell people about him. This guy has been used by God in phenomenal ways. Ralph, thanks so much for being here today. Would you please introduce yourself and your family, and tell us a little bit about your ministry. Well, I, um, I'm an old man, I'm 75 years old, <laughs> been married to the same woman for 55 of those years, and I uh, have two kids. My daughter just came back from uh, three months in Turkey. Uh, they've, they've been working with Syrians who are refugees from ISIS, and uh, she, I think it was fourth trip to Turkey, the longest one. Uh, my son actually pastored the church that I did in Hawaii in my stead, although he's resigned that. He's doing some new things and some very exciting things. And actually, right now, he's decided to do a house church. I'm, I'm really excited to hear about the things that are going on there. But uh, I've been doing this for a long time. Got infected. Um, I don't know. I was, I was in a Bible college. And I was frustrated with all the stuff I saw that wasn't working. And I started reading the book of Acts. And you know, I remember being 19 years old, knowing everything there was to know, and deciding I'm going to show these guys. And so I, I pretty much read the book of Acts while well, I did read it at least five times a week, the whole thing, wow. in my second year of a Bible college. And I, and, I, and I ended up in confusion. What is this all about? It's not about Acts 2. It's about this church planting thing, but I don't know how to make that work. And so that's kind of where I got started. And and since then, we know of um, from the one church that I planted, the first one, about 2,400 churches that we know of. And mm. we know that we don't know of them all. That's really beautiful. Um, Ralph, I, I think we all start at some point when we read the Bible and then we're experiencing church uh, as we know it. There's a dissonance because we're never going to get 100% there. But I think we have some markers that we should be following. And frankly, that's how Church Project started for us. I planted Church Project in January 10th, 2010, and I've been reading my Bible for many, many years, and I had a dissonance between, um, 
I had a distance between what scripture said and what I was experiencing in church. And so we started what I called a church of house churches. We are one church, but we are made up of many house churches. And many at first meant the M-I-N-I. I mean, we just started with two house churches, but now we've started a lot and we've helped plant other churches that do that. Um, we're seeing the word church thrown around a lot these days. You and I have had a conversation on your podcast about what is a church? Uh, the words microchurch are being used a lot. House church is being used a lot. And so I think we need to have some common understanding. We know what house means. We know what micro means. We know what small means. But what does church mean? What would define something as a church? And then, Ralph, maybe we'll get into this. Is there a point where we will say, hey, that's not a church. That's a group, maybe. You know, these guys are playing checkers. That's great. But is that a church? So what makes a house church a church or a micro church a church? Well, to me, um, the best person to define church in this generation is Brian Sanders. And, uh, you know, I think you and I talked at Tampa one time where we were there with Brian. And they, they say that a church is, is basically, and, and, they, and this is a high bar. Because sometimes the, the challenge is, if you're a mega church, are you really a church? Because they're saying that a, a church is people uh, living a worshipful lifestyle, a Romans 12 worshipful lifestyle. Uh, people in community. So they're face-to-face and they're relational with each other. And people who are on mission, they're, they're focused and they're unified around some sort of a mission. Now, they'll apply that to a church of three or four people. Mm-hmm. And then Brian will turn around and ask you with your three or 4,000 people, can, can you uh, come to that? Can you reach the bar? Because a lot of the big churches that we know of, they can't, they can't meet the bar of community, let alone anything yeah. else. Yeah, I, I like that. I agree with that. I think we see some things in a church. If somebody's saying, I'm a, I'm a church what are those things? Can you expound on that a little bit more? Because I'm sure there are people watching this who are saying, well, I'm going to start a church. What are some of the non-negotiables that would make a church a church? I mean, we have mission together. Uh, we would have to have worship. You know, there's some kind of structure in a church, too, with leadership, right? Can you build on that a little bit? Well, I, I think that um, you kind of got to go back to the Bible and, and look at Acts chapter 2. You know, I used to do a teaching where I, I talked about the apostles' teaching and that, you know, you could, after say, the day after the, the day of Pentecost, you know, day two. And you got, um, you got uh, 11 apostles and you got a place that they meet in that we know can hold about 400 people and you got a little less than 3,200 people. So you could have enough leadership base for the apostles' teaching to be going on in eight large meetings, yeah. but then you had to have 300 plus leaders almost instantly if you're going to try to do something with them in terms of following. And so we kind of built a model around what we did in a church auditorium versus what we did in micro churches. And then what we did from there was we would push, we begin to push down authority. And I mean, things like weddings and, you know, the things that people consider the sacraments. If guys had jumped through the right hoops, we would push all that down to them. But lately, I've been looking at this and uh, from a little bit different angle, and I realized that uh, by the time you get to Acts chapter 5, I believe it is, um, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. There's a lot of people there. 
they're not all getting into Solomon's portico and they're spread throughout Judea. So you got to come back to the Acts 2 thing and you you got to look at it in in smaller groups. I, I think that we, we build out from there. I'm not against the megachurch, but I think that we've got to be vital in terms of, of, of these elements that we find in the scripture actually happening in a group. And then structure is going to kind of fall out of that. I think one of the mistakes that we make in, in our churches is we superimpose structure uh, right at the outset. You know, if you want to start a church, it has to look like this. And we end up starting an event that happens on Sundays, and it's not really a church. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's sobering for some people who'd be listening to this, right? I mean, they're they're preaching. They're creating a worship environment. They have people that are gathering together on mission to some degree. Um, but what would you tell some people, Ralph, according to what you're saying? Let's just say somebody's pastoring a church of hundreds or even thousands, um, and they're, they're preaching the word as we should be doing as we gather. They're worshiping. They have mission together, um, evangelism, ministry in the city, maybe even church planting. What needs to adjust for somebody as they're thinking about, oh, is this real? they may take what you're saying and say, well, I don't really have a church. Well, yeah, I wish some of them would. Uh, I, um, there, there is a gathering when I first moved to California from Hawaii. Uh, we were kind of waiting for a, a church planner that we knew to get started. It was going to be several months. And so we, we went around and visited different, uh, different churches. And we went to this one place where uh, there's about 4,000 people that go to this place and I'm, I'm going to call it a place or a gathering. I'm not going to call it a church. And, um, you know, I, I have, I've just come from pastoring a, a church of a couple thousand people. I'm pretty good at this. I'm kind of critical and I know that. And so I got a little problem with me while this is happening. So we, we go to this place for several occasions and we would attend on Friday night. There'd be about a thousand people there on Friday night. And we get in and, and on our way in the door uh, or on the way into the parking lot, because I would park in the street, somebody would say, welcome to Church X and shake my hand. And then I, I get into the real campus. And again, my hand is shaken and it's welcome to Church X. And then I get into the door of the building. Same thing happens. And I get in the auditorium. They hand me a bulletin and say the exact same thing. That's the only time anybody spoke to me while I was there for seven weeks. And, uh, and, and so I'm sitting there being, by the third week, I'm pretty mad at these people because they don't talk to me. Yeah. And then I realized on the way out the door, because we worked really hard to get people to hang around at the church and eat food and get to know each other. <clears throat> because we we're all about the microchurch. Uh, kind of we saw ourselves as a convention of microchurches on the weekend. But you always got the spectators and the looky right. trying to engage them. I realized these people don't talk to each other on the way in the door or on the way out the door. And so they would fail the community tests for me. Yeah. And then in terms of worship, I think all of us, myself included, need to ask, are are people defining singing a bunch of songs together with a bunch of 50-year-old rock musicians? Or are they uh, or wannabe rock musicians? Or are they actually living Romans 12? where you present your whole body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Because the definition of worship, uh, if you look at it through the eyes of Romans 12, it, it, it gets a little scarier there. 
And then mission, I think most groups have some sort of a mission that, uh, that draws them together. So that's, that, that one's not too difficult. So I would look at that group of people that I was with. And by, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. The seventh week that I attended, which was the last, the pastor got up and said, I'm only here for people who, ha who are, have not yet met Jesus, but are hungry to meet him. And I can prove it. And if you have been in this church for less than five years, raise your hand. I, every single hand, except for, you know, including mine, actually went up. Uh, in other words, you're there for five years and you leave because the guy's not teaching you anything that is going to build you up and, and equip you in terms of ministry. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, we're looking at that. And then the guy that's leading the band, got, get, now it's confession time because they did that, the singing at the end of the service. He gets up and says, well, since the pastor confessed what he just did, I want to confess that uh, my great disappointment in life is that, you know, I cut an album and nobody bought it. And now I'm stuck doing this. Oh, wow. like, oh you're stuck wow. doing this. What are you talking about? <laughs> Anyhow, um, I, I think we really have to not see numbers of people and validate that. And then we see a smaller group. And we invalidate that. There right. have to be some different standards. Well, I think, you know, before we move on to the next question, I just I want to put a little concreteness to maybe some notes if somebody was walking away with this. And I think what, it, it, what I'm hearing you say is it, we cannot consider something a church unless it's meeting these requirements, unless it's accomplishing these things together. And that would be at base, people are living in real acts kind of community together, discipling each other, disciplining each other, meeting each other's needs. If, but the problem is, Ralph, every church would say, every church I know would say they're doing that. And so, um, but also most churches I know, and many I've served in, we're not living in that kind of community together. So somebody today needs to sit down and say, is my church primarily about getting people to live in this kind of community together? Is that the baseline thing you're saying? Well, I, I, I think that that's one of the three. Uh, I, I think you've got to have mission. There's got to be something uh, outside of ourselves that we're investing in. And I, and I think I want to look at the lifestyle of the people that are in the church. Are they, are they really walking their talk? Yeah. Are we making disciples and followers of Jesus? Dave, before we leave this question, is there anything yes. you want to add? Or I, well, I think, you know, what I hear is everyone's kind of circling the drain in terms of you could also say there's a lot of community groups that do the same thing that aren't necessarily churches, but they get together and they have community. So I think there is a, a need to define ecclesiology for everybody who's, who's watching to say, what our group, our our church is going to practice this, uh, our ecclesiology. We know what it is. We're committed to who Jesus is, who the gospel is, what it really means to be in a community and not just be a clique. You know, so I think there's something to be said about defining ecclesiology for each, for everyone who's leading a church that's watching today. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, Dave. I, I think that you need to look at, at, at some have called it Christology. But, you know, is, is this God-centered or people-centered? Yeah. Because if it's people-centered, uh, you know, it, it can be an AA group. It can be, you know, we learn to play pool together. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes what we're offering our children is something like that. You know, let's go play video games in the, 
in the youth department for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. But I, I think you got to look at Christology. You got to get it to be around Jesus first. Yeah, and then good. second thing, right. missiology. It, it, what do we do on mission for Christ? And then let's out of that build some kind of an ecclesiology. And mm. if, I, if I could, you know, my, my world got upended when I became a pastor. You know, I, I, a lot of these things I was already wrestling with. But just before I left, uh, I, we were doing a lot of disciple making. I was a very frustrated youth pastor. Nothing was happening. And then we started, we had one girl who was actually marching to raise money for Fidel Castro when we led her to Jesus. And we couldn't get her into what we were doing because she's so busy on Sundays doing that stuff. But then somebody decided we're going to disciple this girl. Well, what happened was about 40 people came to the Lord through one person discipling another, discipling the next two, and it, within a year. And it, it kind of really upended my world. But about so that's happening. We're very successful with this. And then one of this is way back. This is like 1907. One of our girls showed up in church in blue jeans. And I got reamed out by the pastor and the music director of the church. And the music director's kid, I'm having to discipline her. She's coming to youth events and then sneaking off with her boyfriend and doing whatever in the backseat of a car. And I got in trouble for disciplining that girl, but now I'm in trouble for a girl wearing blue jeans. Wow. Then we're doing these, we're, we're really into disciple making and a bunch of bikers show up. And these guys aren't like, you know, hell's angels type bikers. They're, they're, they're dirt bikers, but they're really into it. They see girls. And so they come to the, to the group. We start sharing the Lord with them. They come to church with us two weeks before I'm to leave to go plant a church. And I get chewed out by the pastor again. Why did you leave these people on our doorstep? Wow. What's this all about? And so he's all about protecting the environment. And we're all about, there's a mission out here. These people need Jesus. And it kind of set me up to just upset everything that I believed about church. Let's, let's go back and think it all through all over again. I think a lot of us just need to do that. I would agree. So to recap this topic. Um, if we cannot define a church outside of a real biblical community, I actually, on another episode, I'm going to drill down into what that community looks like. I believe it's diverse. I believe it's open. I believe it's distributed leadership and decentralized. We'll talk about community at some point. What That's part of what makes a house church a house church. But a church, the name of a church, it has to have this kind of biblical community. And like Dave said, we have to have an ecclesiology to define what community is. We have to have it centered around Christology. It has to be about Jesus. A lot of people are gathering groups together. That's right. And it's not about the gospel and it's not about Christ. And then it has to have a missiology, as you're saying, Ralph. It has to have a mission centered around the gospel to some degree. And so that's a great synopsis of that, Ralph. Thank you. And my next question is this. I, I believe there's a gap between small groups, how people care for one another, and pastoring people fully in a, in a traditional setting of a church. We gather people into groups, but nobody's really pastoring one another. Um, and then we have the clergy up here employed to pastor the people. So wherever there's a need beyond the small group, 
We have the clergy up here that has to somehow get to the people or the people get to them. I think this gap is one of the worst things in the body uh, because people don't have access to a pastor. Part of my ecclesiology was formed from Titus, where Paul said, uh, I appoint elders in every city as I directed you, because Titus, you can't get to them and they can't get to you. So give people a pastor, an elder, wherever they live. And so I believe there's a big gap between the pastoral clergy of a church and a small group. Therefore, I think we should distribute leadership to the small group and allow these people to be pastoring each other. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, it took us a lot longer to get to where you started. I mean, you, you started as a, as a gathering of microchurches. Uh, we ended up there. Um, took a while. But we, we begin to identify the leaders. Uh, I mean, for one thing, if, if you're doing, if you're doing disciple making groups that meet around a curriculum for eight weeks, then we disperse and we come back together four weeks later and we create a whole new group. Yeah. Uh, you're not doing micro church. Right. No way. They're not. No, that's not sure. And, and so I think we, we got to come to a point where we're looking at something that's ongoing, that's, that is programmed. What, we're, what, what we did was highly programmed, but it didn't feel programmable well, because it wasn't, uh, we weren't buying commercial curriculums. We were, uh, you know, we asked three basic questions based on what was the Holy Spirit was talking to you about while the pastor was talking on the weekend. And, and we sought to bring people to a point where they're, they're kind of doing the Acts or the Ephesians 4 thing. They're, they're, they're equipping one another for ministry, and we're recognizing the gifts that are there amongst them. Yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful thing to empower people to pastor one another. Uh, I'll give you an example of some things. That, I mean, we have house church pastors doing weddings. We have house church pastors doing funerals. Yep. Uh, we, they're the front line of counseling. All benevolence happens in a house church first. Uh, and then if the house church has saturated their ability to meet those needs, uh, then they can come to, you know, one of our overseeing pastors and let us know we have a need that we need some corporate help to accomplish. And we do that fairly occasionally. But it's a beautiful thing to have a fireman or a doctor or a business person be pastoring uh, people. Uh, we, we, you know, we have some young couples who have come into our church or young adults, they'll meet somebody, somebody in house church two will meet somebody in house church 22, 32, 42, 52, 62. And that house church pastor will be the one that'll do their wedding. Uh, I had somebody ask me one time, does that bother you? And I said, no, I love it. That's, that's the goal. It's not about me or a small team of pastors. I've shown up to a hospital where I've heard through Facebook or something about an emergency and I get there and I check in and they say, are you family? I say, no. They say, uh, well, we can only let family in. I say, I'm their pastor. And the person has said their pastor's already back there and that's their house church pastor. So we're right. seeing this pastoring happening at the group level. If that's not happening there, where does it happen? How are people getting pastored really well? Well, if it's not happening there, it's probably just not happening at all. Uh, you know, either that or, or you're top heavy with staff, which is fairly expensive. 
Um, you know, everything that you're describing is, is, is everything that I live. You know, we, we, uh, we, we did most of our baptisms. Uh, we did do baptisms together in an auditorium. Um, you know, we were in public school, so it, it was a kid's waiting pool. And uh, did, we did a lot of different things, but uh, we'd encourage, you know, baptism in the bathtub or baptism in the ocean. And sometimes in the last church I pastored, we were in a movie theater. And so uh, where Hunakai Street in Honolulu meets the ocean, that was our baptistry. And sometimes there'd be 15, 18 people in the water baptizing one person because they had all had a part in that person, you know, coming to Jesus and coming to the point where they wanted to be baptized. And I'd be standing off to the side grinning at them, you know, everybody, you know, we're always into pictures these days. And, and so I look kind of stupid in some of those pictures, but I'm really <laughs> proud of what those people were doing. Yeah. I, I, when we started our church, I baptized everybody myself. And then I realized at some point, I, I don't, I don't need to be doing this. Our house church pastors need to be doing it or other people that have discipled them. And so I think we have taken this idea of clergy and I mean, I, I've spent my life doing what I'm doing and I have a couple of postgraduate degrees in this. And I mean, I, I, I understand where this ideology of clergy comes from, but I think, Ralph, I'd love to hear you speak on this to this. We've elevated and separated clergy, and, and we've created a huge gap between people being pastored by one another and people being pastored by clergy. And I think there's a danger in elevating and separating clergy. For example, uh, my name's not on a sign I tell our, our, our church occasionally, I, I'm, I'm one of the people here. Uh, if, I, if we put somebody's name on a sign, we need to put all of our names on the sign. I mean, didn't Paul say the, the least visible or the most important in the body? And so I think we're elevating the lead pastors. And I hear people tell me all the time from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultures, this is a cultural thing. We have to do that. And I say, I think we need to change these cultural things. It's across every race and every right. culture that I've seen. We've elevated and separated the clergy. Danger? Uh, I think it's a huge danger. You know, if you go back in the history of the church, um, church very quickly, the epicenter of the church moved away from Jerusalem to Syria and to Cilicia, which is where, you know, Tarsus was, where Paul spent a lot of his time. Right. That first that first century, uh, you see kind of this go for it missional mentality. But by the time the second century dawns, you, we start to have a little bit of heresy here and there. And, and so there's this emergence of theologians. There's this the hierarchy comes into to play. Uh, by the, the dawn of the third century, there's enough persecution. The church kind of gets released again, gets missional. Um, to me, I, I, I want to look at, at examples. And again, I'm always looking in the scripture. And I, I, I come, no, no matter how big a church is, uh, what was going on in Acts chapter 14 when Paul goes running around after getting stoned? They thought they killed him. And then he sneaks back into these five cities and, and, uh, and appoints elders in these cities. Or what is Titus doing in, in Crete where um, he has to go in and, and, and kind of pick up the pieces because he's told, go and, and appoint elders, you know, make something out of what remains. Um, what were they doing in, in these real rudimentary situations? Because that's what I, I think we lose all the time. We have to keep coming back to that. 
reminding people of that and 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 the professional clergy that we know today is really truly a, a cultural phenomenon i don't think it's a biblical phenomenon well yeah right and also you know even it's at that point ralph even at church project we don't have a, a, a central phone right everything goes through the house church everything goes through the pastors that are caring for their people which is what we're in the fight of what we call the fight for simplicity get back to the what that looks like and i think you know, we always have to remind people that ministry, in its essence, is a blue-collar work, right? We're, we're to be about the people. You know, it's interesting to hear you say you don't have a phone. And I, I pastored three churches, one in Southern California, one in Kaneohe, Hawaii. That was the big one. And then the last one uh, was about five years in a movie theater. We didn't have a phone, and we, we bragged about it. And, uh, you know, I'd send them to church and go, you, if you want to know if you're a member or not, you, you, you want to know if you can get a hold of me. And uh, if you know somebody who knows somebody who knows my phone number, then you're probably a member. Otherwise, you're probably not a member, you're a spectator. Uh, and you're welcome to be a spectator. Just make sure you throw some money in the bucket on the way out the door. And uh, we'd laugh about it. But I, I think that, um, you know, we did, a, a, we for many years, uh, I guess, well, actually, the second church, we started out this way with no, no pastoral counseling is offered from the office. You know, nobody who's a paid clergy person other than in, in their microchurch, they, there may be some counseling that they're doing. But if you call the church and go, I, I want to meet with a pastor, I want counseling, we'd say, no, we don't do that. What we can do is we can offer you this microchurch where you get to hang out with these people and, and your needs will be met. And they'll focus, they'll drop everything to focus on you for week yeah, after yeah. week. Uh, that's better than meeting every two weeks with a total stranger for 45 minutes. Yeah. And if people would say, well, I don't want to do that. I, I, I only want to talk to a counselor. We, then we had a list of Christian counselors we would recommend. You can go out and pay them money. Uh, we'll do this out of love, or you can pay them money. It's your choice. Yeah. Ralph, uh, it's affirming to hear that. And, and, and that's what we do. And I'm going to skip. We had some questions in order. I'm going to skip to the next question because it touches on this. Um, and by the way, we're halfway through. Uh, we're 30 minutes in. If you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, my name is Jason Shepard. I'm the pastor of Church Project in the Woodlands, Texas. And um, Dave Edwards is co-hosting with me. And we're joined by Ralph Moore, the Yoda of Church Plant. Right. So yes. uh, I don't know if you like me to call you that, Ralph. I won't do any more. But that is that's the- okay because Yoda was an old guy. So well, that's <laughs> how I call you that. He was he was wise and he knew things that nobody else knew. And so that's why I call you that. But Ralph is here, and we're talking about. What makes a church a church? What makes a house church a house church or a micro church a micro church? What's the gap between pastoring people in a small community level versus the clergy? And this next question, Ralph, is I, I think something, one of the questions that we had come, can, come into us, this will touch on it. Um, it is a risky thing to do what we're talking about. When I started Church Friday, I left a really great job at a really great church that was doing really great things, and I was very secure probably the rest of my life, but I had to do this, and I'm telling you, it was so hard, the first couple of years especially, because nobody understood, no, nobody had ever been in an environment like this 
or heard of an environment like this. And so I, I was frustrated with God for calling me to do something that I thought wasn't going to work, but I couldn't not do it anymore. And I think you know what I mean by that. Um, it's a very risky thing. It's a hard thing to do. So we have people who are joining us who are going to plant a house church or a micro church or going to plant a, a church of house churches, as, as we call it, a connection, a community of these things. Or we have some people in an existing church who um, know that something needs to change. I think most pastors mean well, but they're risk averse. Most pastors I know mean well, have good intentions, love Jesus, and they're sacrificing for the gospel, but they're risk averse. But now we're in a day where I think you're, you're risking either way. Either beforehand, people wouldn't do this because they would risk losing people. But people are losing people right now anyway, and things are changing. And so now it's time to take the step to make the, to make the risk. And so what would you tell somebody in an existing church and then I think people who are planning a church can extrapolate what they need to from this answer. What will you tell somebody in an existing church to do if they have a lot of people coming on the weekends uh, to a one hour, one and a half hour gathering, but the community in their body is not lined up with what we understand and are trying to define here as biblical community. What would you tell that pastor to do? Well, I don't think you do anything in a hurry. I, I, but I, but I think you do everything immediately, and and by that what I mean is I I would start uh, teaching. I, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher. I like to go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So I, I'd start with the gospel. Usually for me it would be Luke, and then Acts. So we're going to take a long time getting there, and then I'd start watching for the responses, and and I and I go pedal to the metal on this is what we need to be doing. There, yeah. there needs to be. We need to be looking for the person of peace. We need to be building off that. We need, we're praying for labor and the harvest. Uh, then I get into Acts and I start to go, church is supposed to look like this. And our church doesn't look like this. And we're going to take some steps. And I, I'd get the thing going. I, and then I'd start watching. You know, I like to hang out at the back door of church. And I start watching for the responses. And, you know, everybody likes to hear that was a good sermon. Uh, I'm looking for the guys going, man, you upset my world today. Uh, you know, or the guy who's mad because you're preaching this, but we're not doing this. And so those are the kinds of people I want to be close to. Yeah. And so I'm going to pull them off the side. And no matter what else we're doing in terms of disciple making, I'm going to start gathering these kinds of, 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 of positive disruptors, people who are upset with the status quo as I am. And I'm going to start pouring into them. And I'm going to, because if I'm an established church, I don't want to wreck what, God has already built, but I want to, I want to go over here and build something new. And so I'm going to kind of do a, a double operating system. I'm, I'm going to leave this as it is and, and maybe try to, you know, delegate more of that to people that are around me, but I'm going to focus on these people and then we're going to build something out from there. And, and we'll, and we'll take however long it takes to do it. It's just that we, I think we need to be about it as soon as we know that there's a need, we need to jump into it. But it's a long process for me because too much change too fast breaks things. And I don't want to break things. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. No, I think that's I think that's fantastic. I mean, go ahead. Um, I love that. I think that's, there's a way to honor people in the way we bring about yeah. change. And, and I agree with that. 
Ralph, I think for me, I, I had this, this is something that a phrase that I used I, that helped me as I continued moving forward. I was convinced and convicted that this was the way church had to become. And yeah. so if I'm going to spend my life doing this and I'm convinced and convicted about something, I'm going to get it done. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let my one life go by and not get this done. And so I do think it has to start with some kind of biblical conviction about what church should be, right? Ralph, I mean, if we are called to lead this, I mean, it's got to come from some conviction that our calling is driving from, yeah? Yeah, exactly. You know, I was influenced early, early, early on by Chuck Smith, who uh, taught me that, uh, you know, it's Jesus who builds his church. It's our job to feed the sheep. And when, when I took that seriously and decided it's not my job to build the church, but I am to teach the word. And part of teaching the word is that these people are living this thing. It kind of changed everything. That whole thing of, of an imputed ecclesiology mm. uh, is not, not any longer important. An emerging ecclesiology is what's important. And, you know, back to this idea of Christology, of missiology, when we start doing things, and, and, and we started breaking things because in the early days of, of Hope Chapel, uh, we, we had almost all the churches around us hating us. They called us, you know, hippity hoppity hope. I, I'm, this, I'm this old. I had never, ever, I grew up in church since 1950. And by 1971, I've never had a cup of coffee handed to me at the end of a church service. That People didn't do that. That wasn't part of the church culture. I mean, today, that, that's part of everything that we do. And so we have church, and, you know, I'm in my little suit and tie, and I got a bunch of bikers and hippies that show up, and that's kind of weird. And there's 12 people the first week, and we grow by 50% the second week, so there's 18. Mm. And I, the whole deal takes less than an hour, and then after then about 19 people show up. So 18 at 10 o'clock, 19 show up at 11, and we're not having church. It's over. And I tell everybody, you know, they come back next week. And this one guy gets a hold of me and goes, you know, you could at least give him a cup of coffee and stand around and talk with him because you could have actually gone back in there and done it all over again. But if you're not going to do that, just give him a cup of coffee and, and get to know them. Be hospitable. So we started serving coffee and everybody, the other pastors start calling us the bake sale church. We weren't even <laughs> smart enough to put donuts out yet. And now we're the bake sale church. So, so we kind of, but again, I keep coming back to this. It's got to be about Jesus. When Jesus intersects with the lives of these people, uh, we're on mission and things are going to happen. And now we're going to figure out church forms from there. So our ecclesiology is going to emerge from, from all of this. I, I want to say something. If, if I can just take a couple of minutes, I have a friend who's trying to plant the church in the deep South and he's bifurcated. He's, He's concerned with what our, what Southern Christian culture going to think of me. At the same time, he's reaching a bunch of people who have nothing to do with Christianity ever until they met him and, and started eating hot dogs in his front yard and whatever. And, and they've gone on from there. And it's, he's, he's growing what I would call really high quality um, disciple making center, uh, which Somebody else is going to call church. It's going to morph into that. But he's, he's coming under pressure from people who've invested in him. Churches that have yeah. given him money, a denomination that's given him money. 
and it's really freaking them out uh, because, and, and, but my posture is, Hey, you're starting this thing out. The denomination, they've dumped money into churches that have flat failed before. They're not going to sue you. Uh, your time, you know, and so what he's doing, he's getting a, a job. He's going to be bivocational intentionally. This guy's got two graduate degrees in theology, but he's choosing to be bivocational to give himself the time because the, the two things that, that pressure us into not really being the church are the financial need. I got to gather a whole bunch of Christians and we'll start a club on Sunday morning so I can take an offering and get enough money to feed my family. That happened to me. Or I got pressure from these people who gave me money. They want to see a crowd grow. So I got to hurry up and get the crowd going. I don't have time to just let people be birthed naturally Mm. in in a string of people who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Um, I think that's really good, Ralph. And I I spent significant time talking with that guy uh, based on your introduction to him. And I'm excited about what he's doing. Um, we have some questions that have come in, and I'll, I'll take a stab at, at one or two of these, but I'd love to hear you jump in on this as well. One question was, how do you maintain unity across multiple house churches with multiple house church elders slash pastors? And I would say uh, that, that is a challenge. Some seasons, it's more challenging than others. Right now, um, I'm in a little bit of a challenging season with just a couple of our house church pastors. But I think one of the ways that you maintain unity, and by the way, I get this question all the time from people because people get very afraid of this. They get afraid of, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to start a church of house churches. And at some point, this house church pastor is going to go plant his own church and he's going to take people away. I would say uh, that's happened to us 2% of our house churches have done that. Uh, I would also say once a house church pastor starts pastoring people, they have more sympathy for people like me who do what I do rather than a desire to do what I'm doing. I mean, once you start pastoring people, really the last thing you want to do is pastor more and more and more people. And so only 2% of our house churches have had their house church pastor say, hey, we're going to go do our own thing. Uh, that's happened to us very rarely. One of the ways that we keep unity is that we're staying together in the scriptures um, together. And so we're like you, Ralph. I mean, we literally started when you said that. I thought, wow, we started in the in the book of Luke. We were there a year and a half. We did another couple of small books. And then we we're in the book of Acts for, I think, two years just hashing this out together. And the house churches, house church pastors are weaving those conversations uh, in the same passage of scripture. It's not sermon-based, it's scripture-based. We're just walking through the same scripture together. I think that keeps a lot of unity because we have doctrine, which is testing itself against other doctrine. I even brought a guest uh, speaker in a few weeks ago to have an interview, and I knew that he would have some people wrestle with some of their doctrine, which I'm fine with. I have a decade of of sound doctrine being taught here. So if somebody's wrestling with something every once in a while, I'm okay with that as long as we're not getting false doctrine thrown at us. And house church pastors get to really help people walk through their doctrine together. And so we maintain unity by staying in the same passage of Scripture together at the same time. We, ta- we maintain unity by really being clear that we are a church of many house churches. And so um, when we've had a house church pastor, I'll, I'll give you an example. When it was time to 
uh, when COVID hit and we had to pull back and go online and we all thought it was going to be two to three weeks. Uh, we prayed about it. Our elders prayed about it. We said we need to stop meeting for the sake of loving our community and especially with everything everybody knew at that time. Let's step back and let's meet online. All of 50 something of our house churches did that 50 something at the time. We have more now, uh, except one. And so I called this, this house church pastor and I said, I, I've heard that you're, that you're not going to do what the rest of us are doing. And he said, no, I'm not. And um, I said, well, our elders have prayed about this and this is our decision. And, um, and I said, let me, let me ask you a question. Is this, and I asked his name, is this your house church or is this a church project house church? Because we have some elders overseeing all of us. Are you, and are you a leader without any authority over you? And he said, you're right. I'm a, I'm a leader, but under the authority of other elders. And I said, thank you. And he said, you're right. I will submit to the authority of the elders. And I think one of the beautiful things about having elders overseeing multiple house churches is it keeps unity. If you have a lot of disconnected, completely autonomous house churches, there's no authority over those house church pastors. And I will tell you that house church pastors need authority, just like I am in authority among a plurality of elders. And so I am in authority, but I have authority over me as well with this group of people. And so I think one of the ways that we maintain unity across multiple house churches is having one common eldership over all of us, staying together while we study the same scripture, and then also being very clear in what the roles of house church pastors are, and they are not. House church pastors are pastoring people, but they're not overseeing the entire community of people. They're not overseeing the budget for all of the church. They're not overseeing all the other house churches. And so being very clear about what the roles are and what they are not, I think helps maintain unity. Anything to add or disagree with or change on that, Ralph? No, I, I totally agree. I, I think that the, the one thing that I, I would point out, though, is if, if somebody is a renegade, uh, now what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to bless them. You know, we, we, we used to make jokes that we have a rule that we don't allow church splits. And uh, we intentionally planted about a church and a half every year while I was in my whole tenure of ministry. And then hundreds, you know, came out of all that. But every so often, you know, uh, and, and I would see it from the pulpit first. Uh, I, I, what, I, I can tell what's going on in that house church, yeah. by what that guy's doing on Sunday morning when I'm preaching. He's scowling at me. Uh, he's right. one, guy, one guy just flipping pages in his Bible, showing his wife scriptures. He's arguing with everything. And so I, I went to him. He, this guy's classic. His name was Bruce. I go, I go, hey, Bruce, you know, um, uh, it's obvious we're a train wreck just about to happen here. And, uh, and he agreed. A smart guy, engineer, um, you know, brilliant man. And, and I go, and he was, he was into um, the prosperity deal. And I wasn't. And so I go, so, so here's the thing. We have this little rule. We're not going to allow a church split. So we're not going to let you do that. And he goes, how can you stop me? And I go, well, it's pretty easy. Uh, you, can, you can use our name. Uh, we'll, we'll help you write a budget and, and we'll help fund that budget. And, you, and all the people in the church that are, are following you and, and want to follow you, take them with you. Because I'd actually rather have them go with you than stay with me because I don't want them to turn out, you know. And so uh, he, he went and he went peacefully uh, and, and still defiantly. 
But, you know, I, I, I went, this was shortly before I moved to Hawaii. This was in California. I came back there, I don't know, maybe a year later, and I saw him at an event that we pulled off. And, and he comes up to me, he's smiling real wide, and he goes, you got me. I go, what do you mean? I got you. <laughs> and he goes, well, you, doctrinally. He goes, I, I, I learned to, t- to teach the Bible from you. I learned the doctrine from all the books I was reading. Huh. And so when I went out the door, I started teaching the Bible just like you do. And the doctrine won't stand up to the Bible that I'm oh, teaching. So good. That's powerful. And so, you know, I'm never afraid of that. And, 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 and besides that, suppose a guy is into, I mean, they still worship Jesus. They're still going to heaven. And they're into some kind of weird heresy. Uh, bye. You know, have a good life, and and I'm not going to feel real bad about that. Um, you know, the the whole Nestorian thing that existed in in the end of the first century is still going on, and in in the Middle East, and those people are still worshiping Jesus, and their doctrine's still wrong, but they're yeah. probably going to be in heaven with the rest of us, and so I'm not going to get too lit up about that thing. Uh, well, this, the sad thing is, based on my present pastoral experience, some people may say that you don't care about doctrine when you say that. And I, I don't I, hear you saying that I at all. I care deeply about I know. doctrine. I know you do. Right. That's right. And I'm, and I'm glad you do. And that's one of the reasons why I trust you. But um, and, I, and I learned a lot from you. And if you're just joining us, and I just got a message from Brooks that a lot of people are joining us that... Um, a lot of people that haven't been on a, a <laughs> webinar in a while, because this is something that people are very interested in. What makes a house, if you're just joining us, what you've missed is what makes a house church a church or a micro church a church? What is the gap between clergy pastoring people and people being pastored in a small group? And that's a dangerous gap to be had. We talked about the what I call the clergification of the church. We, we've elevated and separated the clergy. Uh, I'm the pastor of Church Project in the Woodlands, Texas. We're a church of house churches. Uh, this is Dave Edwards, who pastors with me, and he's co-hosting with me today. And this is Ralph Moore, who uh, speaks a whole lot on church planting. We're going to have time for about one more topic, and then I'm going to close up with some instructions and encouragement to people. Um, you know, well, I'm going to, I'll, Ralph, you've been writing a whole lot about the adjustment that churches need to make post-pandemic. And by the way, if you don't follow Ralph's blog, I would encourage you to go do that. I read it. Um, I, I get it in my email. I'll watch the video or I'll read the blog. And uh, it's very encouraging. It's a short, quick snippet of a thought, but it's very helpful. And the beautiful thing is he's going to bring in different thoughts. So you don't have to agree with all of it, but it's going to get you thinking about things. And it's going to cause you to at least come to an answer for yourself on some questions that you need to have answered. Ralph, we're talking a lot about the church and online things and that, um, but since the church is changing right now, I, I, I said for the exponential um, conference, the rethink conference, I said, while we're rethinking the reset conference, I said, while we're resetting, we need to be rethinking and our rethinking should cause us to be returning to New Testament, early church, uh, biblical elements that we need to hold together. Uh, Ralph, beyond the online things that you've been talking a lot about, could you just take two or three minutes to talk about one adjustment that churches have to be considering right now? Mm, so good. Good question. I, I think we have to be considering the possibility of, like right now, the, the Delta variant 
uh, overtaking us and we go back into lockdown, what are we going to do then? Uh, I, I know there's been the people who, I mean, gosh, we, we resist vaccines, we resist masks, we, we resist Zoom. Everybody's resisting something. It's crazy. But I, I, I look beyond that. And I think that we, we've built something that is no longer appropriate to our culture mm. uh, in, in terms of uh, land use. Uh, we, we take buildings off the property tax rolls and people resent us for that. Uh, we're not appropriate to our culture in terms that uh, people look at the gospel as something that's outmoded. The people who see a kind of a social Darwinism say, think that Christianity had its place in history. Yeah. You know, some schools and hospitals were built, and, but now we've moved beyond that whole thing. So we've, we're kind of out of favor and I think we're, we're vulnerable to losing some things. And I, I read a book recently that uh, really got a hold of me. And it was talking, I think it was written by Neil Cole. It was, it was called Rising Tides. And I actually wrote about this in my blog. But there, there's three areas where we're financially vulnerable that could really upset the apple cart for a lot of churches, church as we know it, you know, churches with a campus and all that. And think about these three things that the government gives us, even while our society says there's separation of church and state. The government gave me a pastor's housing allowance. I didn't have to pay tax on whatever I invested in real estate. It gave me a leg up on the people in the congregation, but what it did for the church was they didn't have to pay me as much. They didn't have to pay any of our pastors as much because we got this tax break. So we could afford to have a larger staff you take away that tax break, we're going to lose some staff members real quickly. Um, the second one, these are all financial, is is the church property tax. You know, I've hated building departments and city governments most of my adult life because I feel like you're you you're antichrist. You don't you know whatever. Well, it actually turns out what they're frustrated with is that we're not paying property taxes, and a shopping center will pay property taxes. And they, they don't want us to have that land. And so if if they take away that tax break and we have to pay property tax, again, we're vulnerable. And the last one would be if they tax our income. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying if our church is hierarchical in nature, it's it is is land-based, it's gotta have a campus that we that we have control of, uh, that we're vulnerable to losing the whole show. Yeah. And that, that forces me to come back to Scripture, to, to places like, you know, the Scriptures, that the, the first chapter of Titus, what he was asked to do, uh, Acts chapter 14, what Paul was doing in the face of persecution, and go, we may lose this whole show as we've defined it. What would we do next? Because we need to start paying attention to that because the future is going to be different than the present. I think the last thing you said is very helpful, and I, I think some people don't want to accept these things that may be true, or they may say, hey, that's the next generation. I would say this. We have to admit the future is going to be different than the past. Part of my job, I'm 47, but part of my job is leading so that the next generation can continue to lead. So we're doing things now and rethinking things now for the guys 20 years behind me who are going to be pastoring. And so even for those of us who don't think this is going to happen in our lifetime, though it may, 
uh, we should be caring about the church a generation from now, two generations from now. And so um, thank you for that comment. Very helpful and insightful. Thank you for all your comments. I want to hit one last thing somebody says. They said, what did the house church worship gathering look like, like the corporate gathering? Mm. I'll say for us at Church Project, we have everything happens. Like we mentioned earlier, Dave mentioned our church is a church of thousands of people connected under one eldership umbrella. We have many house churches. Uh, We do meet in a building. That building is this week being used by a corporation. It's used by ministries in our city all the time. I like to say we borrow it on Sundays. Um, And so it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really simple and raw, and it can be used for a lot of different things. And so we do gather together with a very simple worship gathering on the weekends, but everything else happens. No phone number to call, no office for you to walk into, no receptionist. You want to get into the life of our church, you get into the life of a house church. Uh, And the pastors that we have on staff are really trying to support all of the house churches that we have going on. And we do have a common corporate worship gathering. Um, I wrote about this, and uh, I wrote one book. These guys on the screen have written a lot of books between them. I'll tell you about theirs in a minute. I wrote one little book on this called Church Project. It's a couple-hour read. It's really cheap. You can find it uh, wherever you buy books. Church Project is the name of the book. It's also the name of our church. My name is Jason Shepard. Dave Edwards has written dozens of books, and so you can go find those. He's written a lot about discipleship. His great book, Life First, I would encourage you to get that. Ralph Moore has written some great books. Ralph, would you say the name of one or two that you think would be pertinent to this conversation? Uh, The one that's most pertinent is is the one that's actually behind me on the screen. It's called Let Go of the Ring, The Hope Chapel Story. But I wrote another book called Making Disciples that I would recommend. There's, there, I, there's a bunch of them out there. There, You can get them all on Amazon. Great. I would encourage you to do that. Once I found out about Ralph, you really helped me. I wish I would have known about you before we planted our church. It was years into it, but you've been very helpful, affirming and insightful. If you're listening to this, I would encourage you to join an upcoming regional conference that an Exponential is putting on. You can find it at exponential.org slash events. Ralph is going to be speaking at the Southern California one. You find it on the screen here. There's five going on around the nation. And I love these events because you have some regional leaders who are speaking, but they usually have some influence nationally. And you're going to be connected to some other people in your area. I'm taking our team from our church is going to be going to the one here in Houston. It's just across town at another great church. Go to Woods Edge. So wherever you are, I would encourage you to go in person if you can. If you can't, join online, but you can find out about that at the link that's right here on the screen. Uh, Those have been helpful for me. And uh, I always walk away with one or two or three things that help me as I'm turning the dial and adjusting things. And I want to continue to learn as all of us do. Uh, Dave, thank you for joining here today. Appreciate you uh, doing work with me for the gospel. And uh, one of my great friends, thanks for co-hosting with us. Ralph, you're a mentor to me, a friend to me and to many. And um, I, I heard you say not long ago that you're praying that you live to be 100. And uh, I have actually joined you in that prayer because I need you around here at least 22 more years. And so uh, thank you, Ralph, for pouring your life into the church continually, continuing to do that. And thanks for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you.
And uh, thank you all for joining us at this exponential webinar. We're going to be doing five more of these on this topic with some different guests. We're going to talk about minimalist mega. How can you be a gathering of thousands of people and be really, really simple in your space and in your budget and in your staff? You can do it. Uh, we've tried it. We're a project, if you will, about a church like this. And we've accomplished some of these things and we're working the rest down. And we can tell you the problems that we have and the things that we've been able to see. And we're going to be talking about micro churches under a mega church umbrella, which is a church of house churches and what I define that. So we'd love to see you. We'll be on here again next month. And then we're going to do four together on this topic in September once a week. So join us if you will. Thanks for being here today. Thank you guys again. Have a great day.